this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This weekend, we are offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 18, our preview of the inaugural Innovations in Naval Care Conference, which takes place in Barcelona on May 6th and May 7th. This conversation starts with Jeff Lazarus discussing his history with what he, giving credit to this podcast, describes as the tsunami of liver diseases, the idea that his work in HIV led to hepatitis C due to commonality in patients, and the work in hepatitis C led to Nash because as hep C receded, cirrhosis and HCC continue to grow. This leads to a discussion of what HIV, hep C, and NASH have in common from a public health perspective and the many ways in which they're different. Jorn Schottenberg carries the conversation forward, discussing how much he has learned about building common public perception since he began working with Jeff in 2018. And the rest of the conversation focuses on key elements in building public consensus and the importance of patient advocacy and public awareness in setting the stage for a major public health effort like this one. The conversation ends with my observation that the three diseases Jeff describes are burdened with common public misperceptions about the source of disease that lead to stigma on the part of physicians and public and may create challenges of their own. Congratulations to Yorn and Jeff for creating this unique event. A public health view of NAFLD integrates the things most listeners in this podcast consider every day, like diagnostics, medication, and patient management, with an array of consensus building and public sector education needs like guidelines and endorsements we don't think about all that much. It's a different look. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, Join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Jeff, since this idea, since this general vision, I think, initiates with you, you've talked a little bit in past episodes about some of the history and how you got to Nash, but if you could do that again for a minute or three, putting focus on what it is you learned on the way through that made you feel this conference was such a good idea or a necessity or somewhere in the middle, your floor. Jeffrey Lazarus. I think I'll... I'll draw on the title of of your podcast, Roger, because I feel like I'm surfing sometimes on the tsunami of one health problem after another. And I mentioned probably last time or the time before that, that I I started my work in global public health and HIV living in New York City at the end of the 1980s. Everyone knew about the AIDS epidemic. The question was, you know, what were we going to do about it? When I later moved to WHO at the end of the 90s, I worked on HIV. As we started to get that under control, I moved into hepatitis C because we realized we were providing providing antiretroviral therapy to many people who are going to have liver problems because hepatitis C, like HIV, is a you know a common blood-borne virus among certain populations, like people who inject drugs that we were working with. And as I worked you know, in, in hepatitis C and started to engage more and more with the liver community and not just the infectious disease community, so meeting people like Jorn and Manuel, who I just mentioned, and, and so many other great liver experts, I would say it was more brought to my attention, the issue of, of fatty liver disease, because, you know, I didn't study this 20 years ago in school or, or 10 years ago in you know continuing education courses. It was there, I knew about it, but I didn't really realize how serious it was. And at, the more I learned about it, the more I realized we needed to take a public health and a health systems approach to it. That on, on the one hand, we didn't even have a good treatment. So whereas with HIV and hepatitis, it was about developing those treatments. And then when we had them, getting them to the people, you know, taking an implementation science, a delivery science approach. Here without those, you know, we have some treatments, but not a specific you know, fatty liver disease treatment, um, I realized we had to take that public health approach. And that's really how I got into the field. And as I attended conferences, you know, I've been going to the ILC for often, well, regularly for 10 years, but off and on for, for five years, you know, even before that, and the liver meeting in the U.S. And, and other liver meetings, I realized that no one was really talking about fatty liver disease from that public health perspective. Um, how do we take a whole of society approach? How do we take a people-centered approach? How do we think about 
about things like, you know, the kinds of models of care that really work for patients and even people before they become our patients who just need to know if this is something they should be worried about or not. So that's how I approached this. And I realized that there was an incredible appetite in the liver community, including among the clinicians for this approach, but little knowledge about it because it wasn't something that was really taught in in medical school. And it's not something that we really reward clinicians for. There weren't a lot of publications on the matter. It's hard to be remunerated. It's just not not an approach we've really taken up. So helping to build stronger collaborations with other areas, obesity, diabetes, maybe even cardiology, and just thinking about how we can address this from a different angle is is really the, the approach I'm taking. Jeff, it strikes me listening to you that that sounds less like a tsunami and more like being at sea in a ship during a storm that never ends. On the horizon, the sun is always clear. And every time you get to the horizon, there's another disease. I guess the tsunami for me, though, is just recognizing that this is a massive, overwhelming wave of not just, I would say, problem, but problems, because this is a metabolic health issue hitting us. And yeah, we're, we're on a ship at sea, but at the same time, I feel like the tsunami's passed us and still going on at times. I didn't get to the point where I talked about the 30-foot seas and the 50-knot winds, did I? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's kind of what I envisioned, 10-meter seas and 50-knot winds. Go ahead, Jorn. Jorn Schattenberg. But Roger, let me chime in. And uh, because, you know, if I think back, the first paper I did with Jeff, or maybe the first one where I was real conscious about it, was we did a study on a disease burden and the economic impact on, on, on NASH in five European countries. So that was 2018. And for me, everything was said, you know, this is the disease burden, this is how much it costs, so now we need drugs and diagnostics. And Jeff kind of went back and said, no, 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 no. There's a lot of things you got to settle before you can actually implement care. And I think in succession, and again, Jeff was a key driver here, there was five or six publications where we said, these are the models we want. This is the consensus. You got to talk to the people. You got to bring them all together and define what you want to achieve. Who are the stakeholders? And like he said, these are all the things, you know, as a physician, I said, this is my patient, I want the drug. But until I get there, there's so much things that we got to actually untangle. And and I think the whole process, and again, uh, looping back to how Jeff and I got together, I think it started with cost. But uh, since then, it's been some incredibly productive years in just pulling people together and getting this into a movement that I think finally leads up to the conference we're having now next month. So, Jorn, on the way there, what was the biggest surprise to you? Yeah, I think overall, under the leadership, again, of Jeff here, looking from the public health perspective, that we could actually come up with consensus involving, I think, it's the consensus paper that we discussed on this podcast before involving over 200 stakeholders in the field and just to have, I think it was three Delphi rounds and actually funnel down on the next important steps and get to an agreement. And I think, you know, you have a lot of healthcare experts and physicians an agreement of what is required now. And then from there, we can actually act. This is the time where we move it beyond the physician's office, where we move it to the regulators, to the healthcare authorities, to, to the people around us to say, hey, this is a tsunami. You got to start acting, not just because the physician thinks so, but because we have a broad consensus here. This is the roadmap. This is how much it costs. So this approach is just much more structured than the single physician would take it from an individual patient. Interesting. So Jeff, before we go into the agenda, we'll get there in about one or two questions. How does NAFLD look the most like the other diseases you've been looking at? You mentioned one way in which it's different is that there are no clear uh, therapeutic solutions here. What are some of the ways in which they look alike? And what are some other ways other than the lack of clear drug choices that they look really different to you? Well, I would say 
Nafaldi, you know, reminds me of what it was like when I lived in the U.S. in the 80s and the president wouldn't even mention the word AIDS. There, at least, it was brought to his attention, but there was no public awareness, no real understanding. So Nafaldi is just this unknown condition that has so many clinicians, I would say particularly liver specialists, and I don't want to say in a bit of a panic, but, but of great concern. And the rest of society doesn't know this is happening. So it's literally like a silence tsunami. I mean, it's that moment you know, when the water's going to hit and people don't even know that it looks calm out there because we know that the prevalence you know, is estimated to be as high as like one in, in, in every four adults. So it reminds me of hepatitis C and HIV before they became well-known. We have an incredible body of knowledge. The, the good thing, if there can be a good thing about high prevalence is that, you know, again, with AIDS, as it started to affect well-known people, as it reached high-income countries, that's when the attention turned to it. That's when pharmaceutical companies, you know, really put the pedal to the metal. The drug development was accelerated and awareness was raised. And, and we have that situation starting to happen as we start to reach, unfortunately, you know, but well-known people and more and more people in high-income countries that are affected and even dying as we're starting to pinpoint and narrow down, let's say, liver cancer attributable to fatty liver disease and end-stage liver disease and cirrhosis. You know, we still don't always have good studies of attribution as we realize the role fatty liver disease is playing, it helps us raise awareness among the decision makers, the policymakers, but also our, our clinical colleagues and, and even patient groups in other areas like obesity and, and, and diabetes. So you're, are you nodding or are you just thinking? I was nodding and I was thinking something I haven't said before is, you know, the, the connection with the patient groups and the advocacy groups. Jeff mentioned that it affects more and more people. I think the phenotype is different. This is also a disease that can give you some discomfort discrimination, if you'd like, or putting you in the middle of maybe not having achieved the weight goals that the physician has told you over and over again. Well, why don't you achieve that? So the individual patient is disadvantaged or he, he feels bad about his disease. I, this is not comparable to HIV or infectious diseases, but it's a certain constellation where the patient himself is maybe guiltful about his disease. And that's, I think, where you got to start talking to the patient advocacy groups. And again, this is something also for the meeting next week, but I think in perspective that the public health experts brought in more broadly and to move this beyond talking to an individual patient with individual guilt and his health problems and potentially social background that caused the disease. And here, uh, the broader community of patients is available to be addressed. And actually, let's ask the patients, what do they want? What type of advice? What will help? What about people that were successful in implementing it? And it's so important to, I think, to engage with them at that level of, of global or more broad patient advocacy. It's interesting. As I'm listening, one of the things that strikes me, and you're right, Jorn, it's not the same level. But there are some really socially biasing misperceptions about the core diseases here, right? HIV was the was a disease just for gay people and then gay people and drug addicts. Not true, but that was where that was the perception. The Hep C was entirely about people using needles for drugs. That might be where it started, but that certainly isn't where it ended. And you get the blood transfusions and and partners and all this other stuff. Here, what we hear frequently from people come on the podcast is they tell their patients they have cirrhosis and the patients, say, but I don't drink alcohol. And you're right, you're one of the things I used to see over and over again in marketing research. Really everywhere in the world we worked, and there were the developed countries, but all of them, was that doctors had somewhere between frustration and contempt for obese patients that couldn't lose weight. You know, that it was obviously a problem of willpower. We're now starting to understand that obesity is a disease. But in the same sense, there's a real 
miss on communication there. And I hear it as the same kind of thing, if not at the same degree. Does that feel right to you guys? That, that feels absolutely right. I feel like we're in a better place than before, that not everyone associates liver disease with alcohol. Maybe I'm just, it's just because I'm in an environment where, where everybody doesn't do that all the time. But yeah, there's there's just that 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 association. And the, and the other issue, Roger, is the association of non-alcoholic fatty liver disease with being you know overweight or, or obese. And we know that there's a decent-sized percentage of those with non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, NFLD, that aren't obese either. So, you know, you get this disease, you're not overweight, you're not drinking excessive alcohol, and that's what everybody thinks you're doing. So, I mean, we have this huge problem with stigma and discrimination and the name. And if we have time, I'll mention we are embarking now on a large consensus statement, a nomenclature consensus statement to rethink the name and the implications of the current name and a possible name change. Which, which is a subject I will note if we get there of hearty debate. And I could put another set of people on next week and go in a completely different direction on that. We'll see. And now back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week to discuss what the leaders of the NAIL NIT initiative believe we might learn from their retrospective analyses. We may also have some news for you at that time. Until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now.